That was delicious. Should we talk about it? We have to. Yeah, it's uh, the Port Charlotte Scottish Barley Heavily Peated Isle Single Malt. Is that just, that's the name of it? I guess. It's from Brooklady or Brooklady? Brooklady? Yeah. I don't know. It's I'm not Scottish. Scottish. Yeah. I need to be way drunker to pronounce that correctly. Check in with us later in the podcast. There's a lot of U's and I's in a row. It is, would you say it's heavily peated? Yeah. You can feel, you can feel it on the way down and then it lingers in the throat. There's like a pleasant warmth. Oh yeah. To me. The warmth is it's for weird. sure pleasant. There's some vanilla notes in there, and a little on the sweeter side. It's winter right now. It's near the holidays. It's cold outside, so I feel like that's appropriate. This is Reasonable Disagreement. I'm Kevin. And I'm Rory. And this is a show where we have a disagreement about something reasonably. Normally, we, we focus on sort of heavier issues, politically relevant, culturally relevant, contentious topics. But for this special holiday episode, we're going to focus on something that is even more contentious. Is even more contentious and actually is culturally relevant. It's actually it's coming back up. There's these uh, there's these remakes. What I'm talking about, of course, is Star Trek versus Star Wars. Yeah. I think it's clear that this subject matter is also at least as important as all of the political stuff we uh, about. at least. Possibly yeah. more so. Probably more so. Yeah, so in keeping with like the show's commitment to data, I want to just start out with the facts. Star Wars is more popular than Star Trek. This is heartbreaking to me. I'm a Star Trek fan. But here's where it is. There are four times as many people in the Star Wars subreddit. It made more than twice as much in the box office, which is like $5.6 billion, by the way. It's a lot. It's so much. I went to Goodreads, and I literally don't even believe this number. But if you search Goodreads for things that are related to the Star Wars franchise, you find that there are 5,967 distinct results. Each one of those is, at least so far as I can tell, some kind of book. I think that's more than a single person could read reasonably in a lifetime. Have you tried, Kevin? I may have tried. There was a time when I had read all the novelizations of Star Wars that at least I knew of. This was like before, right around the time New Jedi Order came out when, you know, there was like all the Thrawn books, the Barbara Hamilton books, the Rogue Squadron books. But The yeah. point, though, is that... By most objective measures, Star Trek is losing badly. <laughs> but obviously, those are not the important measures. What's important are our feelings. <laughs> Maybe you could tell me, Kevin, a little bit about why you so wrongly believe that Star Wars is better than Star Trek. Uh, Other than facts. Yeah. Which clearly support your viewpoint. I love that they do. And <laughs> I'm going to lord it over you forever. Beautiful. The facts are good, but as we've established, they're not as important as feelings. And to me, the important feelings that I get from... Hashtag reasonable disagreement. The important feelings I have about Star Wars are very tied up in sort of the monomyth and the Joseph Campbell thing. So I'm sure many of our readers are, or listeners, sorry, are, are familiar with Joseph Campbell and the monomyth, but it's this distillation of the very common hero's journey, this cycle where a hero is given some task and has to leave their community and face trials and travails out in this magical world and then return with the elixir, which will provide... Uh, sucker to their community and 
nowadays it's so formulaic and overdone and boring. I got bored just listening to you describe it. Yeah, I'm bored myself. But what George Lucas did at the time was really both incredibly well executed as like the pile of Academy of Awards. Excuse me, Academy, just Academy Awards. They're the Academy of Motion Pictures. I will never hold you hold that against you. Thank God, because I've been drinking. <laughs> uh, he, he executed it incredibly well, and it was at the time, if not novel, in the sense that it's a reinterpretation of a classic uh, form of myth-making, it was at least new to new as this distillation and like intentionally hitting these beats using almost like weaponized research into narratives. So that was incredibly well done. And even if you we can now see it as sort of grasping or shallow in its context. I mean to be perfectly like to to be fair, books existed well before Star Wars that lean heavily on the mono like oh certainly lord of the rings is a great example yeah but i'm talking about in terms of like a film expression that that really distills and focuses on these beats because like so it like brought this incredibly generic form of storytelling into film but in a very well done (laughs) way i like star wars (laughs) (laughs) better um so I, I like that, and just the quality of execution is sort of what makes Star Wars very special. Every aspect of it is just lovingly crafted and created, like groundbreaking visual effects, Academy Awards for costume design and set design, incredibly beautiful and revolutionary in all those ways, and in ways that are sometimes still not exceeded by modern filmmaking which relies heavily on cgi it's this incredibly well executed beautiful detailed not necessarily narratively deep but tight and well executed even in that department version of a very enjoyable and relatable story what don't you like about star wars (sighs) nothing (laughs) perfect in every way no obviously it went downhill you could say some people say it starts with the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi. Frankly, I was not that upset about the Ewoks. I was fine with them. I'm pro-Ewok. An Ewok hitting a stormtrooper with a rock. I'm okay with that. But Funny, emotionally satisfying. But the prequels are kind of where I got off the bus and into the protest line. Uh, <laughs> right, one to the other. <laughs> the new one, you can very clearly see that someone with dollar signs for pupils has purchased it and is now pulling the lever to make the dollars come out. They're like, all right, what do the people want? Let's give it to them. Let's pile it up and give it to them. And it's executed well in some points, and and sometimes it feels shallow and grasping in other points. So I would say that shallow and grasping is how I would describe literally the entire prequel trilogy. And also, like... Don't you say that about Qui-Gon? <laughs> Look. So, Kevin's summary... I think in a nutshell, is that Star Wars is perfect. I disagree. (laughs) But I'm going to start with just saying that why I think that Star Trek is so good. Main points. One, Star Trek has a bunch of ideological commitments in it, which I think are really, really cool. It's committed to showing a utopia. The problems in it are solved sometimes by violence, but always as a last resort. 
and often not through violence, which I like a lot. Diplomacy. Yeah, there are diplomacies that happen in it. Yeah. Strikingly lacking in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> oh, there's no diplomacy there. There are diplomats. It's straight It to seems like the main thing that the diplomats do is cause wars, though. So, yeah. you know, that's good. <laughs> I also like it's very committed to a world that treats everyone well. There's a ton of episodes which are about, like, humanizing, or I guess not humanizing, but personizing really alien stuff, like weird virtual beings or Borg or other aliens or respecting other cultures and the prime directive is built into it. Anyway, it's just like committed to things that I care about and think are like morally good. It's got very progressive inclusion of minorities. Yeah, sure. Within the context of the show, those things are true. The history of the making of the show perspective, that's very true. Like Lieutenant Uhura, yeah. She is the fourth in command on the ship. The first interracial kiss. kiss. It's definitely the first black and white kiss in American television. I think there's like a British TV show that did it first, and there's an American one that had a white person kiss a Vietnamese person or something like that, Mm. but no one was excited about that the same way. Also, Martin Luther King was a Trekkie. Really? Yeah. There's a story about the woman who plays Uhura. I I can't remember her name. I really should. Let me actually look it up. Fact checker. It's Nichelle Nichols. Nichelle Nichols was thinking about leaving the show, and I'm going to bring this up and read it because it, so, it was so cool to me. Nichelle Nichols, who played the black female communications officer, said that the day after she told Roddenberry she planned to leave the show, she was at a fundraiser at the NAACP and was told there was a big fan who wanted to meet her. Nichols said, I thought it was a Trekkie, and so I said, sure. I looked across the room, and there was Dr. Martin Luther King walking towards me with this big grin on his face. He reached out to me and said, Yes, Ms. Nichols, I'm your greatest fan. He said that Star Trek was the only show that he and his wife, Coretta, would allow their three little children to stay up and watch. She told King about her plans to leave the series, and the quote continues, I never got to tell him why, because he said, You can't, you're part of history. When she told Roddenberry what King had said, he cried. So, uh, what I'm saying is basically that I'm right because Martin Luther King says so. (laughs) Which is... I grant an appeal to authority, but also. Well, that's fine, and I respect Martin Luther King. <laughs> but Reasonable position. But did he have a position on Star Wars? Because uh, I think, wait, did he make it? Till, no, I don't think he did. Yeah, he might have been killed he, before it. So we can't know for <laughs> sure what he would have thought of Star Wars. Of Lando Calrissian? Yeah, he probably would have been 100% pro, that Tratorius weasel. <laughs> Who then saved them, you know. (laughs) The deal was getting worse all the time, and he had to stand up for the people of his city. Right. So basically what what you're saying is that Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King would approve of him as a role model for black youths. Yeah. Okay. Well, now that I've won this argument, (laughs) uh, what are we going to talk about anymore? Yeah, so the Enterprise... Versus the Star Destroyer. Right. Obviously, now that we've talked about Obviously, this in a reasonable way, we have to resolve the real debate. It's the Star Destroyer. The, the, the Enterprise and the Federation writ large is obviously going to crush the Star Wars universe. What an incredibly ridiculous and shallow idea. Okay, look. <laughs> a, fuck you. B, teleportation is super powerful. Is it as powerful as... A moon which shoots lasers that can blow up. Yes, planets. obviously it's no, more it's powerful not. than that. First of all, the, like, are you really proposing 
Are you genuinely proposing that the star, like, sorry, that the Death Star is a good weapon? It's very powerful, is what I'm saying, and it's representative of an economic output that outstrips the Federation so far. It's like not even close. Like they can build planet-sized space stations, which are useless. Like the Federation has one Enterprise, and that's the really good one. And then all the other ships are like, we can't even fight the Borg. There's clearly like tons of other ships that are Enterprise class. Like, you know, they're ten. They're just twenty. There's not. There's not that many. It, look, Enterprise, like the Federation is very clearly like not geared up for war in yeah. the TNG universe, and, and the Empire very clearly is. Yeah, they're loaded for bear, and they will wreck you. Like, but if you look at the tactical decisions that the Empire makes, or the forces that defeat the Empire, all right, like let's look at the Empire. Right, they get beaten by the Rebel Alliance. Yeah, which is dinky as fuck. Well, they locked their S foils into attack position. Oh, right, it's the S-Foils. So wait, hold on, are you contending that if there were S-Foils in the Star Trek universe, then the Empire could be defeated by, Star- by well, the Federation? that depends. Do they have spies who could steal the data tapes outlining the weak points on the Death Star, i.e. a thermal exhaust port only three meters wide? Actually, it seems pretty clear that the Federation has like extremely poor intelligence services, but... It is definitely clear that they have produced clonal superhumans that are way better than stormtroopers. See Khan and company. Like, super genius, amazing reflexes like Bashir in DS9 is revealed to be of this nature, and he can do crazy, crazy stuff. It's what also. What do you say about stormtroopers? They they're, they're cloned from Django Fett. And they're the so most... precise with their okay. blaster fire. You've activated my trap card, Rory, <laughs> you idiot. Oh no, I, I remember this 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 fucking stupid headcanon. It's not headcanon, it's regular cannon. The reason the stormtroopers miss is because Darth Vader planted a tracking device on the Millennium Falcon and they were intentionally allowing them to escape. So that they would lead them to the rebel base. This is a fact that people miss all the time. It's not the kind of thing you remember because it goes by real quick. You know, Darth Vader's looking out the window. It's like, oh, yep, there they go to their rebel base. Good job, stormtroopers, for not shooting them. They thought they got away, but really, they fell right into my trap. And it was only the plucky, heroic friendship and courage shown by the rebels which allowed them to prevail in the end. Because Darth Vader had a great plan, and the stormtroopers executed it excellently. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. So, the stormtroopers miss in a lot of other fights unrelated to the escape from the Death Star. No. Oh, my <laughs> mistake. Okay. Well, in that case, you're right. <laughs> That's true. They do. There's no explanation for that. Okay. Well, in summary, but, stormtroopers, super precise, or maybe not. But the Khan point- misses, too. It's not like... I, mean, well, I don't know if he actually ever does. Do they ever really? They don't really get into any physical conflict. I just remember him. There's yelling. a huge fight. There's many huge fights with Khan. All I remember is the yelling. He does yell. That's yeah. true. It's yeah. Very Shakespearean. Here's all right. Here's a, here's one example. Q is best friends with Picard. Okay, so and Q would destroy everyone everywhere. Well, Q has unbounded powers. Right. There's no who there's, in who in the Star Wars universe has unbounded powers, Kevin? Uh, Fucking no one. That's who. Yeah. 
No, but I, okay, I would say so he definitely, is not part of the Federation. And we, that's true. He's this, not part of the Federation. This is about... Well, actually, he does join the Federation at put, one point. He puts on so the if, uniform. No, he, uh, he officially joins, actually. Oh. Yeah. Why? There's, he gets kicked out of the collective or something. It's not 100... He has a confusing relationship with everyone, so it's not... Anyway, the point I'm making is the most powerful magical person in Star Trek is obviously more powerful than the most powerful magical person in Star Wars. Uh, and Star Trek has teleportation. Do not underestimate the power of the Force, Rory. All right, because it binds all living things, and with the right amount of Force energy, I'm sure Q even could be bound. Uh huh. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the Isalamari? It's a creature that projects a bubble of null Force <laughs> energy. <laughs> And if they were merely to surround Q with Isalamari, maybe he'd be cut off from his extra-dimensional collective, which allows him to perform these great feats of space-time manipulation. Because when you think about it, it's not, it's not all that different from the Force. I'm sure he's just dripping metachlorians, just like <laughs> pouring out. And so there exist counters. So Kevin basically has just performed the reductio ad absurdum against his argument. I thought I would have to do that, but that's great. Uh, Rory, it's... I'm only engaging... Replicators are obviously a better manufacturing technology than... You raising Q at all, which is outside, far outside the bounds of this discussion, which is merely the Enterprise versus the Star Destroyer. And if you want to expand it to every creature in the Star Trek universe versus every creature in the Star Wars universe. Okay, you're right. I did change the scope of the discussion in order to win it. It's called Moving the Goalposts. Yeah, it's a classic example. I just did that to to educate our, our listeners. This oh. is an unfair argument strategy. Yeah, stop doing that, Rory. Yeah, you're appeal bullying. to authority, by the way, is also not a good argument strategy. To the, your point about the Enterprise versus the Star Destroyer, there's one piece of information I don't know, which I think would be very important. What are the relative sizes of the Enterprise and a Star Destroyer? Star Destroyers come in two main sizes. It's the Victory class and the Imperial class. And uh, they're both over a kilometer long. I think the, I think the Victory class is about 1.4 kilometers. That's my feeling. And if I'm wrong on this, I will take my own life. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, well, Kevin, I, I really don't want you to take your own life. I have found some statistics about the Starship Enterprise. and Which is it's tiny. It's really pathetic. small. It's yeah. between 610 to 910 meters. Which is pathetically small. Not even a full thousand meters. Uh, it's only 900 meters for the Victory class. but it's the, So the Victory class is the same size. But the Imperial class, which is the real one... That's 1,600 meters. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's bigger. It's a lot bigger. And it's it, built... Well, it's, it's, it's half again the size, right? Right, but vo interior volume scare, scales cubically with, like, length, right? So... Wait, hold on. I don't... I wasn't... Hey, that's... Okay, sure. I agree with that statement, and I think it's totally unimportant. Uh, so, so what I'm saying is someone who is six feet tall is more than twice as strong as someone who is three feet tall. So a ship which so is... So in an arm wrestling match between the Enterprise the and amount, the Star Destroyer... <laughs> the amount of stuff they can have inside, purely the volume, is dramatically larger. Also, there's the fact that the Star Destroyer is built for war. It is a warship 
designed to subjugate entire planets, whereas the Enterprise is a science vessel designed to go on, you know, missions of exploration and discovery. And it's only secondarily able to conduct combat to defend itself primarily. So Yeah, but what if I reroute something through my deflector array? <laughs> is what I'm saying. Well then the Star Destroyer will deploy its multiple wings of attack vessels. Like the Enterprise has the shuttles. It has like two shuttles? How many shuttles does it have? Three shuttles? I don't know what the I'm just not up on the on the stats the way yeah. that you are on, on the Star Wars stuff. Well, let's just say that there are enough TIE fighters inside the There Star are many Destroyer more TIE fighters than shuttles. That's to take on true. the Enterprise on its own. Because like a swarm of TIE fighters, it's never gonna get hit with a phaser or a photon torpedo. They move so fast. Like it seems they can like pepper it. They can pepper it. They can pepper it. They could even kamikaze it. And that's not beyond the beyond we the empire. Like they would sacrifice their oh, pilots totally. for sure, absolutely. Like, and things ramming into the to the enterprise have been shown to damage it before. Oh, like, totally. You, you totally. see the bridge shake, so it could expend its complement of tie fighters sacrificially just to just to damage the enterprise without even having to damage itself. I think that uh, a thing you observe a lot in Star Trek ship level battles that you don't really observe very much in Star Wars ship level ba battles as opposed to like these like mini uh, attack craft like these swarms of attack craft that are deployed in, in Star Wars mm -hmm. is maneuvering of the capital ships themselves right it's not clear to me that Star Destroyers can maneuver yeah I've never yeah. really seen them dodge a thing no they don't move at all really but the impact of photon torpedoes on capital ships is hella significant and mostly diffused through dodging in or or stealth technologies in not, Star Trek. Are they not guided? No, they are guided. My point is that uh, like how much can a capital ship dodge? Oh, a, apparently a fair amount in in the thing. I think they do, they dodge phasers somehow in a lot of Star Trek things, which I don't even know how that works. I mean, they do a fashionized travel, but I didn't get the impression that impulse was one. How that work? Do phasers travel at light speed? Like, is I, it feels like they should? It does feel that way. <laughs> but what is a phaser when you think about it? No one has ever discovered this. At least Star Wars, you know, it it makes a statement. They're lasers. These are real things that can really function, and we can we can calculate. But can somehow be also dodged and also shoot coherent packets. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. There, I'm sure there's. A reason for that. <laughs> Deep enough in Wikipedia, you will find the reason that it's shooting coherent packets instead of just like a line. Yeah, yeah, I believe that that, that to be the case for um, sure. Yeah, so my argument rests upon it being a martial vessel designed specifically for combat that carries beyond its own significant weaponry a complement of secondary craft which can also engage. Like, a Star Destroyer also is the thing that fields the AT-ATs, which oppressed Hoth. Like, it could it could land an AT-AT on top of the Enterprise. Imagine what that would do. Nothing good. It, could it? Maybe. Why it's, not? Because the Enterprise moves, unlike vessel capital ships in Star Wars. Yeah. It goes, like, a different place than where they are moving that ship. But does it move faster than whatever deploys the AT-ATs? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Though, with respect to ground combat, I really think... Transporter-equipped Enterprise teams are gonna fucking ruin any deployment of Imperial 
things. I feel like they never... Like, for instance, it would be very inconvenient to an AT-AT operator for someone with a weapon to be beamed into their vehicle. That's true. In fact, Luke does something similar to that when he when he repels up to the underside of one and tosses a concussion right. grenade in there. Right. So you can beam concussion grenades, for instance? Yeah, but they never do anything like that. They transport exploding things. Really? Yeah. For instance, out of the Enterprise. Why don't they just transport say, people's brains out of their heads? It's not really... Look. <laughs> it's like, inhumane. Because <laughs> so, they don't like solving problems with violence. Okay, well then why not just transport all their guns? Why not transport all their photon torpedoes out of their torpedo bay? And then be like, oh, you got no guns, B. Well, shields interfere with the teleportation technology. Okay, but in Star Wars they have shield generators as well. Yeah, that's true. And I think we have to assume a certain level of hand waviness of like, okay, their shields and weaponry can be approximately whatever. Yeah. <laughs> they've got magic shields, they've got magic weapons, and they're basically the same essential type of magic, which is magic. <laughs> True facts. <laughs> Clear science. So they've got shields which will disrupt the teleportation like wackiness. But it doesn't seem like their most of their ground transportation stuff has at least very effective shielding. Usually not. No. Yeah. So like there there would definitely be like the first contact stage would not go well with respect to that because like teleporting exploding things into ATATs seems like a very effective way of right. destroying them all. Sure, but this is ultimately about what's going on upstairs. The the ship versus the ship. And You're right. I keep on distract. I I keep on changing the subject to places where I'll win. Yeah, I wanted the ATAT on top of the Enterprise. Yeah, but I think the Enterprise can move out of the way. How do star destroyers react to lo- to running into large bodies? They explode. Um, you see that in Return of the Jedi when when that A wing pilot crashes through the bridge of that's right. actually a super star destroyer, the Executor, uh, which then crashes into the. You're a fucking nerd. <laughs> I know a lot about Star Wars. <laughs> there was a time when I would have known that guy's name. That time has passed, but there was a time. So they can be rammed and destroyed in that manner. But I have to imagine that ramming would also hurt the Enterprise. Oh, yeah, definitely. Ramming has destroyed Enterprises before. That's usually what happens when you ram something. It seems like that is a convention that is shared across yeah. these things. <laughs> Don't ram unless you really have to. Uh, Save it for those moments when it's going to be really great. Okay, so like just like in a like relative capacities assessment, it seems like star destroyers are a little bit bigger than the enterprise than the capital ship. They range from same size for the victory class to substantially larger. Right, half for again the as large. Class. Yeah, yeah, half, half again as long, which gives you like yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. It's like the difference between a twenty meter dome and a thirty meter dome. The thirty meter dome is insanely bigger. I got you. So there's the size thing. There's the clear commitment to military applications mm-hmm. favoring the Purpose Star Wars built. universe. Yeah, medical technologies seem comparable. I would say. Uh, I think. I think. I think like diagnostic Star and field Trek's medicine in Star Trek is better, but but like Star Wars has the magical fluid. Yeah, that, it's called Bacta. The the Bacta tanks. I remember yeah, that. Which seems to just cure anything. But Except you have to like and chopping off be this. in it for like a really long time. Yeah, whereas it seems like medicine in Star Trek is just you go to the sick bay and you're good. Yeah, like after a couple minutes. Yeah, it's like, you're good. Get back out there. Yeah, which I think also kind of favors like in the hand-to-hand cases. Interesting 
questions I think are relevant to this are the vulnerability of Imperial vessels to having their shields disabled because lots of Star Trek conflicts are resolved through disabling shields and then boarding parties. Mm -hmm. And I think that that tactic would be very effective against Imperial organizations where there are like extremely vulnerable points of ships that tend to be well known. So if you can beam something to them that yeah. doesn't look like it's going to go well. So the, in general, like the, Star, the, the Star Trek universe has a clear advantage with respect to teleportation technology. That's true. It's not really something that's present in Star Wars. The shields do come from the specific shield generators. Those are the, the round dome objects on the bridge. Right. Which, if they can be destroyed, take down the shields of the, of the ship. They can also be overloaded just by too much incoming fire. Ooh, interesting. Power constraints. Yeah. It Completely seems, unclear. <laughs> it seems like Star Trek kind of just has infinite infinite power. We got the dilithium crystals over here, and, and then uh, we can do what we want. They like never run out of power. Or have, except when it's very convenient plot wise. Yeah, but like there's like no clear like maximum amounts or anything like that. <laughs> I'm giving her all she's got. I cannot get any more, Captain. <laughs> Who has better AIs? I'm, it's not clear that there's any AI in, in Star Wars. Like, unless you're talking about C3PO. Droids. Well, he's just a guy, though. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's just. He's just a there's guy. definitely no like superior artificial intelligences. Yeah. Other than superior in the sense of fluent in over 3,000 forms of communication. Yeah, but they can't, like, do cognitively more challenging tasks. No. Whereas that is... Data is an example of that in the Star yeah. Trek universe. The ship's computer is ar arguably an example but of data that. data is, like, very cutting-edge. Like, he's yeah, yeah, the yeah, sole sure. creation of that one No, not sole event. creation. He has a daughter, sort of. No, right? he has a twin brother. But he also has a daughter. He also has, briefly, a daughter. Rest in peace. Oh, sad episode. <laughs> okay. Very sad. Um, I'm going to give it to the to the Star Destroyer, because that's mine. That's right. My guy. I'm going to give it to... I think that the, the narrow question, you might win. I think that there are beings in the Star Trek universe that are more powerful than the Star Wars universe beings, as demonstrated by on-screen displays of power. I think that is also the case that the logistical infrastructure of the federation is clearly superior really? like like teleportation oh well uh, yeah teleportation readily right. transportable replication devices for small small scale manufacture you would never have like a the situation you have on Tatooine where like you have to go somewhere to get to make repairs to the Tachi station yeah to pick up some power converters yeah like that's not a thing right you just have a replicator and you replicate your power converter and you're good that's like a clear superiority of the Star Trek universe that might have combat implications in the context of a war. In the context of the Enterprise versus Star Destroyer, it's like highly dependent on the relative like potency of the weapons involved. Right. And I think there's just no way to resolve that question. Yeah, it's very so wave. Absent. Oh, my turbo laser batteries do this much. And I will say your phasers. The Enterprise is pretty clearly the dominant military vessel other than a board cube and even occasionally against board cubes that occurs in the Star Trek universe where Star Destroyers except when it comes to like are often destroyed they are so we're reasonably we're going to reasonably disagree about who is a more effective combat entity in yeah. the sense that Kevin is convinced of his position still and I'm 
more convinced of Kevin's position than I was previously with respect to the Enterprise versus Star Destroyer thing. Yeah. But still on the side of the Enterprise because I like it better. That's fine. I'll forgive you. I think uh, I think that covers it. We reasonably disagreed. Yeah. All yeah. right. Uh, fuck you, and uh, your universe is worse. Star Trek is a joke. High five. Yeah. Next time, religion. religion.